Thank you again for joining this podcast. I am excited to dive into the constellation of philosophy. So Boethius finally sits down to write his final message to the world, and he does just a phenomenal job at really playing the victim here. Uh, in his own writing, you're going to identify with his words. And then Lady Philosophy with a truly captivating uh, description of who she is and what she represents enters in and begins to talk to Boethius and console his mind with her wisdom and words. So enjoy and thank you for listening. In ancient times, the gymnasium was a critical gathering place. Warriors trained their bodies, and more importantly, their minds, by studying with some of the greatest philosophers in human history. In this podcast, we will connect with the stories and teachings of warrior philosophers that have lived throughout the ages and discover priceless lessons from their lives. Together, we will explore the most powerful stories and ideas that will inspire and help you reach your true potential. Welcome to the Gymnasium Tribe Podcast. So welcome to Boethius' cell as he sits down at a desk with a pen, a piece of parchment, and a well of ink, and he decides to write his last message to the world. Now, it is worth mentioning that this work is written in a form called prosimetrum, which is a combination of prose and metric or verse. And so this helps really set the scene as every chapter begins with a poem. So a line of poetry that describes the emotional state of Boethius or of Lady Philosophy speaking to Boethius. So Boethius opens with a verse that I wanted to read part of it here. So you can really step into this space with him and see his emotional state of mind. Age hath come low. Grief hath bid me, wear the garb that fits her best, o'er my head timely sprinkled. Yet death passes by the wretched, shuts his ears and slumbers deep, will not heed the cry of anguish, will not close the eyes that weep. And he closes with this line, Friends, why did ye once so lightly vaunt me happy among men? Surely he who hath so fallen was not firmly founded then. So he is lamenting the loss of philosophy. You have to imagine that the whole time Boethius has these maxims that he is about to write through the words of Lady Philosophy to console his mind, but yet he is describing how he is feeling at this time, how he is feeling ungrounded from these virtues and these principles that he so well knows. This is a state that all of us can identify with. We, we might have higher wisdom uh, that we've studied or learned, but yet is it truly being embodied in the present moment is the true question. And so as he exists in the state, Lady Philosophy, as his savior, enters his cell and her description is truly captivating. Her eyes are bright like fire, which give her more than a human keenness. Her height changes from moment to moment. At one moment, she seems of normal height. At the next moment, her head seems to pierce the heavens. She is lively and youthful, yet her complexion 
is full of time. She seems to be out of this age. So this is an allusion to the ancient roots of timeless wisdom and of philosophy itself. She is the embodiment of the wisdom of old, yet she is always young. She is a teacher who is always there for us if we will only listen to her words. So again, the transcendent nature, you can see the Neoplatonic influence that Boethius, is, that Boethius has, the realm of ideas that is always present in the world that surrounds us. She has a scepter or a staff in one hand and a notebook in the other. This is definitely an allusion to Plato's philosopher ruler. So the ruler is has the scepter of the staff. It represents the kingship or the queenship of the philosopher and the king. And also they have a notebook. So they're always studying. They're always rooting themselves into the maxims of philosophy. Her clothes are woven of the finest cloth, yet they are tarnished by age and neglect. This is surely Boethius talking about uh, his time and age in which philosophy seems to be falling away and he is trying to bring it back with this work. Her appearance, the appearance of her garments seem to be aged and exposed as, as exposed marble that has not been tended to in a long time. And her clothes have two symbols on them. At the top of her clothes is the symbol theta, and at the bottom of her garment is the symbol pi. Now, pi means praxis or represents praxis or the practical philosophy, and theta represents theory or theoretical philosophy. And there's a staircase between these two symbols, which connects the two and shows us and tells us that without the connection of practice and theory, we cannot truly possess philosophy. We must find the balance. Theory without practice has no impact in the world and practice without theory is blind and has no guidance. And she begins to lament that her garments are torn um, by violent persons who each snatched away what he could clutch. And here she's referring to the masses of men and women who call themselves philosophers, yet they are not truly rooted in theory and practice. And so they were violently tearing at what they could get for renown, for name, for reputation, but they weren't truly practicing what philosophy was there to teach them. And with her stern eyes, she looks at Boethius, then she looks at the muses of grief and despair that are causing the disease of his mind. And she reminds Boethius of his noble birth. She says, you are schooled in the Eleatic and the academic schools. This is who you are. She looks at the sirens of grief and despair and she says, be gone. And she laments the disorder of Boethius's mind, his cast down into despondent state, and the fact that he has lost his lineage and his birthright. And so Lady Philosophy now begins to act as a physician in diagnosing the state of Boethius's mind. She looks at him and asks him very forthrightly. She says, are you struck dumb by shame or amazement at my appearance? And she is being very stern and forthright with Boethius. She does a wonderful job in the story uh, of 
playing you know both roles you know the 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 role of severity and also the role of of grace and compassion and you know in this moment she is just really telling boethius that he is suffering from the usual sickness of deluded minds that have lost their rooting their foundation in philosophy and she calls this lethargy this is the usual sickness of deluded minds and through this observation she begins to dispel the myths and she becomes indignant that boethius thought that she would ever ever leave him she says that philosophy does not abandon those who are innocent and in her words she states to him a, a really uh, powerful statement uh, to remember she says thinkest thou that now for the first time in an evil age wisdom hath been assailed by peril did i not often in days of old before my plato servant my, before my servant plato lived wage stern warfare with the rashness of folly in his lifetime too socrates his master won with my aid the victory of an unjust death and in stating this she is reminding boethius of his heritage in philosophy she reminds him of philosophers of old who met their destruction in the service of wisdom socrates zeno of elia and seneca who was told to commit suicide by nero to whom he was an advisor she says that they were slaughtered for no other reason than living in manifest contrast to the wicked the wicked who are driven hither and thither by mad error with no leadership and when they seem to be owning the day it is we referring to her and boethius and those of their kind who have the higher ground we can see that they are plundering the useless baggage and the most valueless things while we inhabit the citadel protected from what aggressive folly cannot aspire to reach and so now lady philosophy gives boethius a chance to really state his case uh, so after she diagnoses the state of his mind as lethargic and as overcome by the muses of grief and despair she has dispelled these muses and she looks at boethius and she says to him very forthrightly art thou dull as an ass disclose thy wound and so here here he goes this is boethius's chance to state to the world uh, his innocence and he says is this recompense for my obedience i have followed plato's injunction that philosophers should be rulers and to defend this he states that he has constantly worked against the corruption of the aristocracy the barbarian rulers um, to protect the weak and the poor uh, he states one specific circumstance where he protected uh, land called campania from an unjust sale that threatened to throw the poor uh, into starvation and by protecting or preventing the enforcement of the sale he was able to protect uh, these people and then he goes into his protection of the senate uh, where he defended his friend albinus who was brought who had false charges brought against him and in defending albinus uh, he became implicated in the plot of treason against uh, the regime of theodoric the great 
And he says that his accusers were obviously corrupt. They're steeped in debt and they were accused of so many offenses that they were actually going to be banished on the same day that they lodged the information campaign against him. And he asks, hath fortune no shame for the vileness of my accusers? Had he been accused of putting fire to the temples or slaying priests, <laughs> he would not be uh, experiencing a worse fate than he is experiencing now for being righteous and in, and in his words, in always following after God. And he closes with a prayer that says, uh, why God have you forsaken the virtuous? Why does fortune favor not the righteous? Is why is God able to look upon the earth and see his people living in darkness? Now, at this point, Lady Philosophy reminds him of something extremely, extremely, extremely important. And she looks at Boethius and she says that you have chosen to leave your home country, referring to philosophy, not, not the court at Ravenna. Uh, she says, no one is banished from this land without voluntarily doing so. You have chosen, Boethius, to leave your homeland. Only one is king in this land, and that one is yourself. And she states that she misses not the library walls of glass and ivory in which she used to accompany Boethius in his study of philosophy, but she really misses the chamber of his own mind. Because this is what, this is where the ideas that give philosophy its, its credence, its value, this is where the value truly lies, which is in the ideas that he has within him. And she mentions that he has bitterly complained uh, against fortune. Uh, and this is really the true cause of his state of being. And so in closing, she asks him two questions to give a final diagnosis or to fully understand uh, Boethius' state. And she asks him, how is the world governed? Is it governed haphazardly or by a guiding hand? And to which Boethius answers, uh, of course, God is always sovereign. Well, if God is sovereign, she asks, by what means does he rule the world? And at this, Boethius says that he does not know. And she says, aha, okay, we're starting to get closer to the problem. You believe that God has set a certain aim for existence itself, but yet uh, you do not know what that aim is. And then she moves on to him. She says, do you remember that you are a man? And he says, yes. Well, what is a man? And he says, a man is a rational being subject to death. And then she says, well, what else? And he says that he knows not what else a man is. So he has truly forgotten his own nature. And so at this, she says, she, she says, okay, like we have what we need. Uh, we're going to move forward. She says, have then no fear from these weak embers. <laughs> the vital heat shall once more be kindled within thee. But it is not yet time for strong remedies. The mind is constituted in a way that when it casts off true opinions, it puts on false opinions and becomes lost and confused, disturbing its true vision. Again, some mild remedies are in order. 
And so now we'll move into the next part where she begins to take on the words of fate herself, uh, talking sternly again, once again to Boethius, telling him that he has no right to be the victim, that he has misjudged fate and put his trust in fate. And this is the cause of his disease. So uh, join me next time as we move into the next part of the Constellation of Philosophy. I hope you are enjoying it as much as I am. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you love these heroic tales and philosophies, and you are interested in becoming a hero in your own life through optimizing your life mentally and physically, please check out my epic coaching program at Gymnasium Tribe, where I personally coach and train individuals online and in person to help them find their hero's path through physical and mental training, which then allows them to offer their greatest gifts and talents in service to the human tribe. To learn more, visit my website at www.gymnasiontribe.com.